This is Honora. I, I live a very, very calm lifestyle, right? I have two dogs and I live in a small town and I don't go out at night. You know, my life is very, very nature-based. I'm either in the woods or I'm training or I'm outdoor, I'm in the ocean. The only thing that is extreme is the waves. People often ask me, like, how can you be so young and live, like, in a fishing village, you know, in the middle of Portugal? I'm like, you have no idea how exciting my life is. Like, if I had an exciting life and land too, I would not survive. All the excitement in my life stays in the ocean. This is the most wild, exciting ocean in the whole world. And at up to 100 feet, or more than 30 metres high, the largest and meanest waves in the world slam into a headland in Portugal called Nazaré. It's the most dangerous wave in the world, and if you don't have the right team and the right experience in your team, that wave can kill you for sure. I looked up and I had never seen a wave that big in front of me. I felt this explosion that could have been a truck hitting me. I couldn't see, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't nothing, but I could still hear. And I remember him screaming, grab the rope. And that's when I black out completely. In 2020, Maya Gabriela not only set the record for the biggest wave ever surfed by a woman, it was the biggest wave surfed by any woman or man that year. But to get there, she had to go through hell. I mean, Maya, she uh, doesn't have the skill to be in these conditions, and she should not be in this kind of surf. From the time Maya was a kid, she had this dream of being in the Guinness Book of World Records, surfing the biggest wave a woman's ever surfed. She, I would say, would be the Billie Jean King of world-class surfing, and that's quite an honor. I'm Sylvester Stallone, and this is The Comeback. I'm Maya Gabeira, and I'm a professional big wave surfer from Brazil. I grew up in Ipanema Beach, I was introduced to surfing through a boyfriend when I was 13 years old. As soon as I started, I was obsessed. I just followed my passion and I went to Hawaii. I supported myself financially by working. I was a waitress. So I was a waitress at night. I surfed during the day, trained during the day, and that's how I sustained myself in Hawaii for the first three to four years. I remember exactly the day I served my first big wave. I was buzzing and that was extraordinary to me. And I remember being with that buzz for days. My name is Alyssa Ronick and I am a senior writer for ESPN. So big wave surfing is, you know, it's right there in the name of the sport. It's surfing gigantic waves. It's a sport that requires incredible courage, that ability to turn off that voice in the back of your head 
that says, this is stupid. (laughs) This is dangerous. This could kill you. You only have to see someone surf a 60-foot wave once to grasp the speed and the danger and the risk of getting into that impact zone when the wave breaks. Legendary surfer Laird Hamilton has pioneered the sport of riding huge waves. He's towed onto them by a jet ski. You can't paddle into these things. When you started surfing, what was the biggest wave that people thought the one could surf? Probably in the, in the 20 to 25 foot range, which would mean, you know, maybe a 30 or 40 foot face. What's the biggest wave you've, you've ridden now? Eight to 10 stories. It's giant. If you fall off an eight to 10 story wave, are you scared? Yeah. I, I mean, if you're not scared, you're not assessing what's happening. The biggest danger in big wave surfing is drowning. That's always going to be in the back of our minds as athletes and as surfers. I've seen people breaking legs, dislocating shoulders. But in the end of the day, what we are all most afraid of is drowning. The percentage of people that are saved after blacking out in the ocean is so, so, so small. You're in the ocean. If you black out, you're done. The giant waves appear off Nazare every winter, just as they have for thousands of years. Few surfers knew about this place until 2011, when Garrett McNamara was towed into the 78-foot wave by a jet ski. A lot of us have snowboarded or skied. Just imagine going as fast as you go down a mountain, and then imagine an avalanche chasing you. Then imagine not trying to run away from it, trying to stay as close as possible to it the whole time. It sounds terrifying. (laughs) For the average person, could easily be hell. By 2005, Maya had broken into the boys club of professional big wave surfing, racking up awards and earning multiple sponsorships from Red Bull to Billabong. So 2007, 8, 9, 10, I won the big wave awards for overall woman performance. That was the only goal you could have as a professional big wave surfer if you're a woman. There was no other award. There was no nothing. So that's what I did. I won one, two, three, four. And then 2013, I went to Nazareth. Yeah. And at up to 100 feet, or more than 30 metres high, the largest and meanest waves in the world slam into a headland in Portugal called Nazareth. Oh, there is a massive, crazy... You know, you want to look at that and say that it's chaos, but I'll tell you what, this is controlled chaos. Let's listen in. Look at that wave taking everybody out, the skis running for cover, just the output of of fear and courage that was just displayed. That's enough to last a lifetime right there. I was 26. I arrived early October. Me, Carlos Burli, and two professional surfers from Brazil. It was forecasted that we were going to see the biggest swell in many years. I remember we were pretty scared. We were hearing the waves. It sounded completely different. We already heard things like, oh, the water came all the way to the streets and it's really big. We 
drove off the harbor. And for the first time, I saw the waves breaking way in the middle of the ocean. I mean, I had never seen that before. That was, for me, completely new because every day we were training up until that point. We were driving, driving, getting to the beach, then seeing the waves. <laughs> and that morning it was like, wow. <laughs> How can the wave break in the middle of the ocean? <laughs> I didn't even comprehend. <laughs> so we just drove towards the middle of the ocean. And when we got out there, you could see that the adrenaline had really taken over our teams and we had our spotter on the cliff. I remember him saying, please slow down, you know, this is serious. Carlos drove onto one wave and then he drove onto the next one and then he drove onto the third one and he stopped me and he was like, look, I'm not gonna be driving around here. You're gonna let go of this rope or what? And I was kind of stuck to the rope. Yes, absolutely. I was not sure of what I was doing. You know, it was like, I didn't feel comfortable. And a big set came and he drove me into the first wave of the set. And I remember seeing this gigantic wave. So I let go of the rope. The moment you let go of the rope, it's the moment of commitment. I mean, at that point, it's you and the wave and that's the moment there's no turning back. Anything that happens there, it's between you and the ocean. You just feel like you're going down this huge mountain and you're just handling that speed. It's so, so, so raw. She's going through incredibly choppy water, just using every muscle in her body to stay on her feet at that speed and outrun essentially a 60-foot building that is about to crash behind you and possibly on top of you. I hit one bump, my board is speeding up, and if I hit the next bump... It popped up pretty reasonably well, and I looked up and I saw this wave coming in my direction. That's when I realized that the real problem was about to start. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. I had never seen a wave that big in front of me. I had no idea how I was gonna actually survive that. And when it hit me, I felt this explosion. It blacked me out, took my life jacket away. I went down deep. It was a blackout of impact. 
I, I regained consciousness underwater and I started slowly floating towards the surface. I felt like I was dying. It's hard to describe, but um, I definitely went through a moment underwater where I felt very sad. I felt very sorry for the pain that I was gonna inflict in my parents. I'm never gonna see my mom again, my dad again. And then at some point I was like, look, you know what? I did everything in my life to be here. There's a reason why I'm here. And you know, I'm gonna accept it. Whatever happens from now on, I gotta be in peace. And that's when I was able to kind of let go and then being comforted by this force, which we can call energy, we can call God, we can call whatever it is, you know, but something certainly reached down to me and said, no, you're gonna be in peace now. You deserve to transition in peace. And I'm gonna give you, you know, your last moments in peace because you don't wanna go sad, you know? You gotta be able to switch that. And I was just grateful that something helped me to do that. And that's when I was able to switch into like the fighting mode. I broke the surface, I had no life jacket. I was so deprived of oxygen. I was hearing, you know, the noises before you black out. I was seeing stars in front of my eyes. I had a very difficult time catching my breath. It was clear to me that I was gonna black out in the water. There was no way around it. I saw where I was. I finally saw Carlos. By that time, it must have been already six minutes or so of the whole thing going on. Carlos came to grab me, and that's when he realized I was losing consciousness. The last sign you lose before you die is the sound. So that's the only thing I still had. I couldn't see, I couldn't breathe, and I remember him screaming, grab the rope. And automatically my body, I don't know how, goes forward and grabs the rope. And that's when I black out completely. I had pneumonia. I had, you know, a broken leg. I had broken my ankle. I had serious complications on my spine that caused me to break my nose and had to um, have no surgery. I had three spine surgeries and I had, you know, a lot of injections, a lot of medicine. For four years, all I heard from doctors, you know, you're never gonna heal up again to that level. You know, you're gonna jeopardize your future life, you know, if you like, start training to do that again. At some point, Billabong was a little uncomfortable with my approach. They just thought, it's taking too long, you know, this goes going nowhere. <laughs> and um, we're not willing to stick around, you know. And uh, that's when they kind of walked away and said their goodbyes. It was a very bad breakup. And it kind of sounded like, Maya, you're done. I think it's the end of your career. 
Her body was in tatters. Her sponsors had long gone. And to add insult to her career-ending injuries, a pioneer of big wave surfing went on to CNN to weigh in on what went down in Nazare. You know, as far as what happened uh, to Carlos's uh, partner, I mean, Maya, she, she uh, doesn't have the skill to be in these conditions and she should not be in, in, you know, in this kind of surf. Imagine coming from a legend, from like the person you always looked up to on CNN. You know, I, I, me as an athlete, I had never been on CNN, <laughs> you know. So here I am on CNN, you know, looking like this crazy lady that, you know, knows nothing about big wave surfing. And it's been, you know, revived on the beach and should have never been there in the first place. I mean, it's not a great way to be on CNN. You know, your, your premiere. <laughs> Big wave surfing is an obviously dangerous sport. Accidents happen all the time for both men and women. We talked to Dr. Nicole Lavoie, a director at the Tucker Center for Girls and Women in Sport at the University of Minnesota. We asked her about Laird's comments that Maya shouldn't have been out there. This rhetoric around, well, women shouldn't do that because they're less strong, less powerful, they're more frail, et cetera, et cetera. This kind of protect the women narrative is just all around sexist. So Laird's statements are rooted in gender stereotypes and sexism. And because he is the king of surfing with a lot of power and privilege, he doesn't have to see that. But when he reproduces that narrative that she shouldn't be out there, which is not true, she has every right and probably is more skilled than some of the men who are out there, but we don't talk about that, that it just, what he says is taken up as true because he has a lot of power in the sport and he's visible. The idea of women trying things that are dangerous and exposing themselves to failure to then become better and to then, you know, succeed is not easily accepted by society. I wasn't Hawaiian. I didn't grow up with a dad who was a surfer and showed me the ropes. I didn't have, you know, a lot of experience in this world. And I was willing to learn by myself and to take the big risks. That was just not very well accepted if you were a girl, you know, and an outsider. That was like, no, you cannot do that. After four years of surgeries, public humiliation, lost sponsors, and a bout of crippling anxiety, Maya had brought herself back to the point that no doctor thought possible, and she began to plot her way back to Nazare. We asked her how she found the courage to go back into the waves that almost killed her. There was only one way, full dedication. So in March of 2017, my body was in shape, like it was amazing. I had hit a place that I didn't even think it was gonna be possible. I wanted to make Nazareth home, you know, not only land, but the sea. And therefore, you know, I needed to be here every day. I'm gonna be sleeping in my own bed. I'm gonna eat the same breakfast. One of the things people ask me like, oh, what do you do on a big day? I do exactly what I do every day because I take the drama and the expectation away. And I don't want to wake up on a huge day 
in another bed, in another house, eat something different, and then, you know, go put a wetsuit that I never use. No, I want to have the same food. I want to go to the same facility. I want to train on the same bike that I do every day. I want to put the same clothes. I want to see the same faces. And that day is just going to happen that the waves are going to be giant and I'm going to perform. It's 2018 at the WSL Big Wave World Championships in Nazareth. Each surfer has 45 minutes to ride as many waves as they can. For the competitor, a lot of it is judgment, knowing which breaks to catch, and then of course staying upright and riding that wave into the coastline. Maya's competing for the first time since her accident, and the conditions are treacherous. Tomorrow looks to be insane. Forecasted to be huge tomorrow. Hopefully the biggest waves in the world. There's definitely a lot of energy in the ocean. The WSL Big Wave World Championship is underway here in Nazareth, Portugal. It's hard to feel brave when it's foggy, wet, cold, windy, and bumpy. You're sitting out there and you're feeling that ocean moving and that intensity and that power. And you're like talking to yourself, just trying to get in the zone. Gabera, this is a big wave and a nice fade from her into the ball. Look how clean that is too. And that is a massive wave. So I rode the wave of my first world record, January 2018. It was amazing. And in April of 2018, we had the Big Wave Awards, which is done by the league, the WSL, the World Surf League. And in there, they have a category that establishes the biggest wave surfed in the year. The problem at that time is that we still didn't have a category for women that was named the biggest wave of the year. And so I started telling them that, you know, this had to be changed. I wanted a woman world record. We needed that platform for women and this and that. And they seemed reasonably open for that change. But when April came and the awards happened, nothing had changed. And for me, it was like, no. You know, after the four years I just had, the stuff I had endured was too much to just walk away and be like, ah, you know, maybe next year they'll decide to do something. And I felt kind of pressured to take an action that I certainly didn't want to, which was to petition and ask for fan support for the implementation of the women's category. It was just a, a weird thing, you know? It was a weird feeling to, to work that hard and to accomplish something and then have to scream really loud, I deserve. It just made me very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's pretty common that women have to fight their own battles to be recognized equally to their male counterparts like Maya. And fortunately, we have had women in Many sports do that. Billie Jean King, Serena and Venus Williams. They finally get so fed up that they have to fight these battles of equity on top of training and being full world-class athletes, which is a lot to ask. 
finally, in October, they told me they were going to recognize it. And um, we had a little ceremony here in Nazareth. It was, it was very nice. My mom was here. So she not only earned recognition for her own achievement, she created a space for the next generation of women to chase something, to chase a goal and to try and beat her record. And I think that as much as anything she's done has been really remarkable. In 2018, you know, it was announced by the WSL that a woman would get equal pay on prize purse in professional surfing, which was a tremendous step. Maya had come back from what the doctors had said was impossible. She'd won a world record and in the process shattered the glass ceiling. In 2020, she went one step further. This year, the Red Bull Big Wave Awards are witnessing one of the closest XXL biggest wave battles in the 20-year history of this event. I had this one wave that, to me, was the craziest ride I had ever really done in my life. When I started going down, I was like, ooh, this is fast, this is fast, this is fast. When I hit the bottom and the wave exploded behind me, the noise, was the scariest, most intense, loudest noise I had ever heard. That became the wave that won me a crazy second world record and became kind of historic in my sport because it was the first time a woman surfed a, a bigger wave than a man in the year. It just cemented for me, and I think for a lot of people, her role in not only the sport of big wave surfing, but in women's sports in general. Someone who was told you aren't good enough, you shouldn't be here, you don't deserve to be here, you don't belong here. To have her be the athlete who's pushing all the men and women was incredible. I have felt a lot of changes since. Certain things are not even acceptable anymore. I could not picture Laird Hamilton going to CNN and criticizing a fellow professional athlete and people being okay with it. People would not be okay with it. He would get killed <laughs> by women and the force that has become the feminism force. So there is certain things that we just don't see anymore, which is amazing. And there's other things that we'll keep having to work towards and adjust and, and change. Maya, what does this wave mean to you? Obviously, it's special. You've set for a second time a Guinness World Record. Yeah, I never, I never thought it was uh, gonna happen. To get a second one is it, is a little bit crazy. I gotta wrap my head around it. I'm just the result of so many things behind the scenes, you know, from people that inspire me to people that protect me to people that drive me. I know you're not gonna say it, but we gotta ask it. Does this make you the greatest female big wave surfer of all time? You know, she's one of those unique people who look into the unknown and see possibility where other people see impossibility. And they extend the edges of, you know, the map of what is possible. 
And to have a woman leading that charge is just incredibly cool. I think there's a lot that the ocean offers me besides the magical ride. I think it's the whole experience, all the lessons that come with it. You know, I always joke that big wave surfing was my college and it really was. Everything I learned that I could transfer to life, you know, like the hard times, the victories, the injuries, the patience, everything you can transfer. And I think I go back for all of it. She, I would say, would be the Billie Jean King of world-class surfing, and that's quite an honor. And I hope she continues to use her power and her platform to create more change. The Comeback is brought to you by Imperative Entertainment and is created, written, and edited by Giles Andrew and Elliot Watson of Honor Productions. Executive producers are Sylvester Stallone and Braden Aftergood of Balboa Productions, Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment, and Trevor Groth of 30 West. The comeback is produced by Honora Productions and Balboa Productions in association with 30 West. Original music for the series composed by Dan Powell, sound design and sound mixing also by Dan Powell. Poster design and graphics by Dana Kim and Ricardo Imperial. Additional thanks to Maya Gabiera, Dr. Nicole Lavoy, Alyssa Rognick, and Jordan Feller. Sound recording by Jorge Leal. Special thanks to Ryan Abushi, Dawn Bishwal, Alex Witherill, and Charles Denton. Key art photography of Sylvester Stallone by Michael Putland. Narration engineered by Skylar Kilborn. Please subscribe, download, and share, and follow us on social media for extra content and updates. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.